Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ranyogi Diaries. This is your host Santosh Shiva. Over the last 2 years I've had the privilege of talking to some amazing people, day-to-day people who are on an extraordinary journey of well-being through endurance sports. I hope you took some possibility back into your lives, took some action and maybe some inspiration to perspire. Today's guest is quite amazing. Satish Gogeneni. Someone that blows my mind. The first time I heard of someone summiting Mount Everest, I was in awe. And I still am in awe for those folks who actually do it. But guess what? Satish summits Mount Everest and then goes out and summits Mount Lhotse, which is the fourth tallest peak in the Himalayas. And all of that within a 19-hour window. Quite amazing. So we get behind the scenes with this amazing story. Starts off as a runner, becomes a mountaineer. Let's dig in. By the way, if you're new to this channel, if you're listening to this or here seeing this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe, leave your comments. Uh your subscription makes means a lot. And if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, please remember to follow. Let's dig in. Hey Satish, welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Hey, hey Shivam, hey, hey Santosh, sorry, let's do it again. No, that's okay. And I keep calling you call Shivam. Shiva. Why is that? Like, is it, that's your last name, right? Shiva, yeah, Shiva. Is, actually, the Shiva. my last name is Shiva Subramania and I kind of shortened it to Shiva. Okay, I, that's the person that came to my mind, I know why, but yeah. Hey, no, you're not the only one. A lot, lot of people end up calling me Shiva, which is funny. Okay. So Shiva is my dad's name, actually. Uh, are you from Madras or Maharashtra? No, no, from Bangalore, actually. Uh, well, oh, okay. I have roots roots in Kerala, but grew, grew up in Bangalore. Okay. Because I know yeah. that like Maharashtrian people usually have their dad's name as the middle name. Well, in South India, <clears throat> you know, it's pretty much, uh, I think, except for a few regions, most people switch to using father's name as a last name. Uh, and there's a big history towards it. Yeah, yeah. Not the Telugu, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. not too much in Telugu. You're right, you're right. But in yeah. Tamil Nadu and in Kerala, a lot of people switch to it. Anyway, that's there's a history to it. We'll get into that in another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so welcome to the show. Uh, you know, uh, such a uh, pleasure having you. You're kind of, uh, I'm going to take a stab at some uh, incredible achievements you had uh, in the endurance uh, arena. And then we'll dig in. Uh, Sounds okay? good. All right. So, um, Satish, uh, uh, you live in San Francisco, California now, and but basically from Hyderabad, right? And uh, yes, um, you started. You're a runner. You started running what maybe what ten years ago, um, approximately, right? Fifteen. And, uh, uh, Fourteen marathons, chanced upon um, mountains, and then decided to become a mountaineer, right? Yes. Um, and you, you've uh, summited most of the known peaks in North America, in Americas. And then you went and did the double whammy, which is, uh, well, people, uh, you know, get excited climbing Mount Everest. Uh, uh, but what did you do? You went and did uh, Mount Everest and Mount Lhotse, uh, which is the, first, the tallest and the fourth 
tallest Tallest. mountain in in 20 hours flat. Uh, Uh, How about that? (laughs) 19 something. Wow. That's just incredible. Uh, And for someone who, uh, you know, who's a, who has a day job and, you know, and, and, you know, regular dude and going out and doing something incredible like this is amazing. So we're going to dig into all that, how, why, and all that stuff. So did I miss anything? Uh, No, I mean, I think you got it all right. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So uh, maybe let's do a bit of a flashback here and uh, um, get into where it all started and why did it start? I mean, how did you get into running in the first place? Uh, yeah. Um, so even before I begin, like, I want to say thank you for like having me on your podcast and like being interested in my story and then just giving me the platform to share my story to other people, um, mostly the Indian diaspora. Um, so I, I moved to the States um, for college and then I was like playing soccer with uh, other, you know, American uh, intramural. I was playing intramural soccer um, and then I would notice that like every time I would hide a ball and I would like, would tackle like somebody from behind would just come and then quickly take the ball away from me and that like even though I was like a good athlete back in India I just realized that quickly realized that my endurance is not anything close to the American standards or you know uh-huh. or the standards of an athlete here um, okay. so that like, just got me started to like running like two to three miles a day to like just to improve on my soccer um, when I graduated and moved to DC um, a friend of mine just ran the Asha uh, no, I think it's Asha. I think it's a DC marathon. So he's raising funds for Asha. He ran the marathon. And I've never met anybody who just ran a marathon. And everybody, all my friends were like interested in his story and everything else. And he mm-hmm. wrote a whole like monologue about like his experience um, mm-hmm. on the marathon. And I was reading through it and he talked about like how shitty he felt like from mile 16 to 24, uh, mm-hmm. or mile 16 to 26 at that point too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of got me interested. I was like, you know, I was like, would I have the mental strength to endure something for so long? Hmm. So that kind of got me curious and I reached out to him and I was like, dude, I'm going to want to run with you. Uh, I want to hmm. see if I have the endurance or if I, if I can someday at least run a half marathon, not a full marathon even. Hmm. So, I mean, he got me into it, but then soon after that, like, I mean, I, I was running like in the six to eight miles with him and I felt pretty comfortable, um, but I moved to Los Angeles like soon after that. And I think when I moved to Los Angeles, I had like no friends over there. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of bored. Like I thought I would just like do the same thing that my friend did was to like sign up for, you know, like to raise funds and then run a marathon. So I joined APLA. Um, so this is an organization that raises funds to like uh, for the cure towards AIDS in LA. Um, yeah, that's all. I mean, my journey to like uh, endurance running or towards marathon started. And um, it's so funny. It's also like, you know, I mean, I got into it, but then I made more friends uh, and I started partying. And so like the friends that I made through running, I was like partying more than I was actually running. (laughs) Uh, And I probably would have never finished that marathon if it wasn't for my boss. So I sent an email to like all my teammates at work uh, saying that I'd raise funds to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. And then my boss's boss comes to my cubicle. She's a vice president of sales at AT AT&T. Uh-huh. And she's like, I heard you're running a marathon. I'm like, yes. She's like, do you have uh, like a squad who's, who's, who's supporting you on the race? I said, no. She's like, I'm going to come support you. And this was a person I was like kind of scared of. The whole company was in general scared of her. So, for, I mean, she kind of said, I'm going to come run with you the second half of the marathon. And I 
was not ready to run the marathon, but then I had to run the marathon because I didn't want to disappoint her. So even on yeah. the race too, I mean, I had all these like text messages from friends saying that, dude, you better run that marathon or else I want my money back. Uh, so these are the friends who like and donated towards the cost. Anyways, long story short, I went and ran the marathon. Um, I finished the marathon and I thought like it was done, like one and done. But then as soon as I finished that, she turns towards me and she's like, I want you to start running with me every Saturday and Sunday. Hmm. And I was like, I didn't sign up for this thing. <laughs> this is like painful enough. I didn't sign up for this thing. But then like, it really, that probably was like, you know, it's, she is my best friend like mm. today. I mean, she's much older than me. She's probably like 67, 68 at this point. Mm. Um, so, wow. yeah. So, I mean, so 15 years ago, she was in her fifties and I was like a young kid back then. So, I mean, she made me, like, she brought me into her core team. She had a few mm. other people who were running with, uh, you know, she had a few other team members. And I would run with her, like, every Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then I think I ran almost, like, close to eight marathons with her. She would mm. travel to, like, run races and she would carry me to run. I mean, I, I mean, it, it kind of, I mean, it was peer pressure, like, in the sense, like, I had to run just because, like, she was going to be there. And I didn't want to disappoint her. I don't want to be in her bad books. And that's the reason I started running with her. But then again, like it's something like, you know, it changed. Like um, it's, I would be drunk till like two o'clock, three o'clock on a Saturday morning. But then I know that Sunday morning, six o'clock, I have to go run that marathon. Uh, I mean, race or a marathon, whatever thing that is. So, I mean, you know, um, I think over a period of time, like when I look back at it, like, you know, she taught me a discipline. She taught me that, like, you make a commitment, you work towards it, no matter what it mm -hmm. is. I was young. I was having fun with my friends. They wanted to go out and they wanted to party. And so I would just go join them. But then again, like, I, I kept my commitment to, like, just go train mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. these uh, ladies. Um, Good for you. Yeah. So that's just how my marathon journey started. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, I mean, my focus was initially just on running just the marathons. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, till date I've run like 14 marathons officially. Mm. Um, I've also trained a few um, marathoners and uh, half marathoners. And every mm. time I train somebody, no matter where they are, I usually make it a point to like go run that race with them. Mm. Um, so I mean, unofficially I've run more than like 26 marathons. Uh, okay, like so altogether. just running with somebody. The rest of yeah. them are running with someone. Okay, with somebody. Yeah, uh, half marathons. Uh, I mean, yeah, but yeah. That's just like, I mean, it started as a peer pressure, but something that I truly enjoy today. It's part of my everyday life now. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, peer pressure, yes. But I also, uh, I think if I hear your story, uh, first is I think uh, you definitely uh, are someone who is uh, fitness oriented from the, from the word go, right? I mean, otherwise, why would you be, um, why would your ego be hurt that someone else was faster than you in the soccer field, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I... So, so. I enjoy like working on myself constantly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. be it in yeah. sports, be it at work or, you know, yeah. overall life in yeah. general. I'm a, I'm a guy who like to like introspect a little bit yeah. and, and, yeah. and then see the direction I'm going into and then like, you know, make amends to it. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely, I, I hear as a, a one, probably the early trigger. And, um, and I think the other one was, uh, you know, being lonely in a big city, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah. you know, you... You chose you chose the right thing to do, uh, you know, uh, and not not necessarily pick up a habit that would have been detrimental to your health. But yeah. um, hey, that that that's fully valid. And then then, then you have no choice. You know, yeah. you just kind of got stuck with it, right? In a good yeah. way. In a good way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Terrific. Yeah. So, and in terms of your, uh, you know, you said you've done 14 marathons and stuff. So, uh, do you just run? I mean, did you also, since you're a, someone who seems to be uh, competitive, you know, is looking at, you know, how to get better, uh, did you also focus on progression in, in speed and stuff? How, how did that happen? So, did you do that? So, so funny thing, Santosh, is like every time I seriously, so I didn't have a trainer or like coach or anything. And I was like, just basically like I would run every afternoon or in the mornings, mm-hmm. like in a, in a five to six miles. Um, and most races, I've run the initial like eight or 10 with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but so these are official and unofficial. But the most part of them are like races that I've run by myself. I would travel mm-hmm. to like Tokyo, I would travel to Berlin, I would travel to like Chicago, I would travel to New York City. Um, so these are like marathon majors. And nobody, I mean, I was the only one getting into these races. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I would say that, like, looking back at it, like, I, I made progression. I mean, I started my first race. I wanted to write, run it under five hours, mm-hmm. run it, like, four hours, 57 minutes. And, um, and the fastest I've run, I believe, is, like, three hours, 32 minutes. Um, wow. That's that's yeah. a huge progression, right? Yeah. yeah. From, from almost again, five hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was, like, I mean, even now, too, like, you know, um, I, I maintain that mileage. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I can run, like, 40 to 60 miles a week. I can maintain that mileage. Um, but then I've never really had adopted the proper techniques to like, you know, do the sprint workouts and everything. I just thought running was something that I enjoy doing. I'm just going to like leave it there. Um, and so I don't, I mean, I like to be competitive and I think I like try to push it, um, to like three thirties. Um, but then, yeah, I've been trying to break it into like a three ten someday, um, it's something that's quite possible, but it's just that the focus of late has been more towards mountaineering. Um, right. when I'm like focusing on like mileage rather than on, um, speed. Yeah. So I think yeah. last year was the first year when I tried to like do it. Like, um, I signed up for Chicago and I signed up for CIM. Um, and then I also like signed up for one at CIM in 2000, I think 12 or 13. Mm. Um, so these are the three races I'd really trained hard on like mm. worked on my sprints and everything. And these are the three races I got injured. So in a way, I've like jinxed it. And ever since I said that, you know what? Running is just pure enjoyment. Just go yeah, and do yeah. it. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So uh, great. And so so you kept running and then uh, you seem to have stumbled on mountaineering. So how did that happen? Um, I, so 2014, um, um, like a really good friend of mine, like my best friend, um, he used to live in San Jose uh, and I was in LA. So he calls me like randomly when I was working. It's like, dude, I mean, I got a lottery to go on this like hike. Do you want to join me? And like, this is a good friend of mine. Um, and I, and I was like, I mean, I, 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 to be honest, like I've only done one hike before. If you, I, I wouldn't call like going up like Hollywood Hill as a hike because I used to run that thing. But mm. then like, like one official hike before, like and this conversation I'm having with my friend, mm-hmm. and it's like uh, it'll be camping, it'll be backpacking, uh, we'll take some liquor, we'll have some party over there, we'll have some mm-hmm. good times, and like he mm-hmm. kind of sold me out on the whole thing. So I said, okay, let's do this thing. So I bought like brand new shoes, brand new pan, brand new backpack, um, everything brand new. I went to Whole Foods, I bought like you know, curry chicken salads and everything. There was mm-hmm. no concept of like you know freeze dried food or any of that stuff. It's like mm-hmm. I want to carry food for two days. So I had like, I don't know, I mean, my very first backpacking trip, I had like, uh, like 47 pounds that I'm carrying. I've never carried anything before. And, okay. and then I was like, okay, where are we going? So he's like, you know, he's like, I'm going to give you the hotel directions. Just come to the hotel. 
He said, it's going to be a 22 mile hike. I said, sure. I mean, my, my thinking then was like, I run 26.2 miles. So if I'm going to hike like 22 miles over two days, that's like 11 up and 11 down. That's, that's pretty achievable. Not a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the concept of like, like, (laughs) yeah, like you, you think like, you know, that's like, you know, should maybe take you like in six, seven hours. Right. Right. And the concept of elevation didn't happen because I was living in all the flatlands. LA, San Francisco, um, New York City, DC, all flatlands. Um, and so he invites me to Lone Pine uh, in California to hike Mount Whitney. So when I get there, I see the mountains and I'm like, oh, these look beautiful. It's like, yeah, we're going to climb the tallest one over there. I'm like, even then it didn't strike me. I like concept of like altitude just mm. didn't happen. So I said, okay, let's do this thing. So I was getting 47 pounds and I was like, you know, it was just me, another friend, uh, and I invited another friend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's just how it happened. Like my very first hike was like Mount Whitney. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that go? Is, 47 yeah. pounds and 22 miles. How did it, go? it was horrible. Like, you know, it's like, I think the first day um, was the first, I think it was a shock to my body. So I didn't mm-hmm. feel much, but then we just kept talking. I had like mm-hmm. 20, 25 like short bottles of like Jack Daniels and like <laughs> random liquor. I was carrying them all in my backpack. Um, the first day was like hard because I've never mm-hmm. hiked. And I thought, okay, I even then the altitude didn't happen. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't occur that it was altitude that's like having an effect on my body. Um, yeah. We'll make it to halfway point and then we'll like, camp over there. This is like pretty early too in May. Mm-hmm. And we are such novice. Like we didn't, there was snow all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, we didn't, um, yeah. So we thought we would like boil water in the night and like to carry water for the mm-hmm. next morning which we didn't do. All of us are lazy and we didn't know how to use the stove. So we had like, I think like three liters between like three of us to go from approximately 10,800 feet to 14,500 feet and to come back down, pack everything and then go all the way back down. So the concept of drinking water at altitude, I mean, you know, it's Mm. hydration, Mm -hmm. no, no concept of any of that. So we started with the switchbacks and it took us like, I don't know, um, like a good like six hours or something just to like get to the switchbacks to the to the top, like one way to the summit. Mm. And then it was like, I mean, that's when like, you know, I felt like I was running two marathons at the same time. Like my heart was like pounding like it, I've never felt before. Like one, we didn't have water. We were dehydrated. Um, and we didn't have the concept of like, it was like after, I think we went to the summit around like 4.30-ish. So we didn't even like wake up to do like an alpine start or something. We just woke up at like eight o'clock, had like lunch, uh, had a breakfast and started like journey at like 10 o'clock, which is all wrong. Like you start, you Mm. have like an alpine start, you start like early in the morning at four o'clock. None none of that, like, so, yeah, I mean, it's like we were dehydrated. We didn't have the water. Anybody who looked at us said, you guys so, so are your, not. So your friend, sorry, so the friend that invited you for this also uh, did not have uh, any background of doing this. It was all no. fresh. Wow. He likes an adventure. He's from Jammu and Kashmir in India. Uh, so he likes that adventure part of things. Uh, and so he just like signed up for it. He had no clue what wow. was happening. Wow. But I think he's also like, the, I mean, he's, he's, he's the smartest friend I have. So he probably read about mm. it. And so he was like, more careful as to like, what he was doing. Hmm. Um, but it was just a journey that we were on. It was like, risky. You, know, you, you survived, but then yeah. it's risky. Don't it, try it was, this at home, guys. <laughs> it was foolishness. Like, uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. like we didn't have the water. 
we didn't have the gear because like our feet sank into snow like you know we were like when we were mm. postholing even when we were walking towards the summit right yeah um so the socks were wet we had blisters on our feet um i think we reached like halfway mark and then there were people who were coming down and they're like are you guys going to the summit we said yes and they're like it's too late you guys are not going to make it mm. and you guys don't have water so we were asking them for water and they're like you don't have the water but it's just like all three of us like the other guy was a serbian dude you know a really good friend of mine mm. and nipun like you know he's a smart guy but then we were doing a foolish right. thing that day and then right. we we just didn't want to give up we like let's just keep pushing this and see how far we can go yeah. and then we made it to the top and then we just like sprinted down we just have no idea how we did it but we came back down and i think from the bottom of the switchbacks to where we were camped i was post holding like my whole entire leg was like sinking into the snow i was hating life and i was like yelling at this guy what the fuck are we doing i'm sorry um but what are we doing over <laughs> here like, yeah sorry my bad about that like what are we doing over here what have we been yeah. doing over here like why why did we even start this journey on i was mm. hating it so i think by the time we went back to the car it was like 11 o'clock in the evening Mm. and we were just exhausted tired dehydrated our lips were all burnt up and uh you know um we were all mad at each other actually mm. like why why did we even do this thing how did we not know about this like yeah. and then my friend says guys we just climbed the tallest peak in the lower 48 states and i think that just like calmed it down for me and my mm. friend a little bit mm-hmm. i think i remember like going back home at like 3 o'clock in the morning and then 3:30 i had no idea about like mountains in general mm. and i thought like the tallest mountain in the us so um, everest must be pretty close to it cuz everything in the us is a big shit right mm. um so i think at 3:30 in the morning i was like trying to like youtube how to climb mount everest the same the same day huh the same yeah. day like well, i think we're, we're on 2014 here right 2014 yeah. so 6 mm-hmm. hours prior i was hating my life and i was hating my friends i was like don't touch me i don't want to talk to any of you mm-hmm. guys just leave me i just want to focus on like getting down to the car somehow mm-hmm. i'm like starving we didn't eat proper food the whole day um yeah I and mean, that's just how it started like you know i just mm-hmm. go back home at 3 o'clock and 3:30 i was having i didn't sleep the night before and i was having mm-hmm. a just rush and i like um just like went on to youtube and i was like and was googling as to like how to climb mount everest i saw a video on dead zone for like 30 minutes and i said you know what i'm done chapter of like climbing mount everest like that thought the very thought no longer exists um wow. yeah so that's just how like it started like you know um and i i mean the reason i want to like share this story is also because like when i think about and climbing mountains today this climb plays a huge factor in the sense like I, i constantly keep going back to this thing i mean this was the worst experience i could ever have like having no experience of like climbing at all to like climbing a mountain in the worst conditions possible late start no water dehydrated post holing after that and then going back to the car after like not sleeping for close to you know like a good 20 hours or 24 hours or whatever like i think and then being able to do that and come back home and then having that wish to climb mountain um it just like it just imprinted that you know i i'm capable of doing hard things in life mm-hmm. um so when so so what yeah. what uh, what uh, what may have so why is i mean like uh, what's your um, take on 
wanting to do hard things i mean uh, wh- why do you think that got triggered off after this experience so i mean it took me a couple of days to like like the photo whole thing to sink in like mm-hmm. you know um when i was trying when i came back home and like you know when i told my friends what i just did and everyone were like are you i mean you know are you, you must be nuts to do something like that mm-hmm. uh, you could have put your life in danger and everything else so i think there was a sense of adventure to it mm-hmm. and then there was like a sense of accomplishment to it but then i think mm-hmm. i like i said like you know i mean i i mean i was like maybe i want to do everest but then that the idea just died as soon as i like watched the video on youtube about the dead zone <laughs> but then i think mm-hmm. one of the things that happened um was i lost my mom like 3 years prior to that um mm. i i mean like to be honest if i better be honest for myself like um i was i would say at the top of my game i was running strong races in marathons um i got a job that i've been wanted to do for like a long time mm. um under a under a boss who's like my best friend Mm-hmm. um i can see progress and growth in my you know in in terms of like my professional life and also mm-hmm. in terms of like running and everything else um and then like also like studying towards my gmat i want to go to my mba um and then i just woke up one day to like you know just got a call from india i usually mm-hmm. come back home at like 5 o'clock 5:30 and then like would take mm-hmm. a couple of nap would wake up at 7 o'clock and I would study till like midnight um so that's usually my pattern and then i get a call at like 7 o'clock and i thought it was my alarm and i pick up the call and like you know i just got a call from my cousin saying that your mom passed away um so it was just like i mean it just happened at a time when i was thought i was thinking that i was at the very peak um and i think like you know it being a sudden you know her passing away and everything it just like created this like vacuum in my life that i couldn't replace mm-hmm. running was helping me i mean that's the reason like you know i mean one of the reasons i want to like share my story to like lot more an audience in general as to like how running and like motivating has influenced my life sure. um mm-hmm. so running was my best friend like i was talking about like you know there were so many things i could like talk to myself about when i'm like running mm-hmm. um but then again like it also felt like running was just not cutting it for me in the sense like mm-hmm. it was something mm-hmm. that i do socially with my friends it was something that i would do by myself yeah. like but it just wasn't enough i just needed something mm-hmm. more i need to like get away like that was what i was thinking but i i didn't know how to do it yeah so, so kind I, of a kind of a some kind of a deep pain yeah yeah loss. i mean it's like you know just in a way like you know it it's a meditation like in a sense like mm-hmm. i i'm too i i get too distracted too soon um mm-hmm. when i'm like sitting one place and mm-hmm. so it's just like i just needed to like you know I needed a transformation I just didn't know how to yeah. get that transformation. Yeah, and I yeah. think when I was actually hiking or you know like in a climbing Mount Whitney with my my buddy like two things like you know I've had a strong impression into my head is like that's the first time I'm in the mountains. So I'm looking around me I'm seeing the nature, right? That was one thing. And I think on the way up and the way down we were in no shape to like communicate or talk to each other. We just said heads down you know hearts up and let's just keep climbing up right so i think it just gave me that like you know like enduring that pain um and then going through that journey to like you know achieve something um and like that whole like thought process and like how your mind body you know everything functions together for you to like get to it um it all like found like a very meditation like mm-hmm. you know kind of and and thing yeah. for me and i kind of enjoyed that like more than like and i mean how, how old were you then how old were you when all um, this was happening i think i was 
let's say I was like 27. Mm. 27, yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible for someone uh, that young. I mean, uh, to have to have to deal with, you know, uh, a sudden loss of a loved one, especially your parent, and yeah. then you know, uh, finding uh, finding peace through endurance sports, right? Uh, you know, you could have gone. You know, people that young can take the substance abuse or something else. And, and, and it, it's glad it you found this. Kinda, I'm. Mm. I think I'm too. Um, I get too addicted to things like mm-hmm. for running and like mountaineering. I know yeah. that I could have gone that route and probably would yeah. never have come back. And I, yeah. that kind of yeah. also like scared me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was depressed. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. took me a good like couple of years to like, even like to come out of it and say that I'm depressed. I needed mm-hmm. help. Um, yeah. I, so I went, it happened in July around my birthday and I went to India uh, when she passed away and then I didn't come back until like October. And then in May of next year, uh, another incident also happened. But then it just, I went to India for another six to eight months, like completely off work and everything else. So in a sense, like, it just like changed my whole routine. Like I said, like in a one instance, I found myself on the very top, like having the best job mm-hmm. I had, was working towards mm-hmm. my GMAT, I was like running stronger, um, good social relationships and everything, to like being depressed, not wanting to meet people. Um, I just put myself in this like hole and I mm-hmm. just didn't know how to get out of it. And I think like just, I mean, it's my first time being in nature, being in the mountains. Mm-hmm. It just has created like a strong impression in me. Yeah. I've, I've found peace. I found, even though like, I was struggling to like breathe, I found calmness in the whole process. Correct. And it kind of, yeah. that's something that I truly enjoyed. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that like when I was doing it, because like, mm-hmm. um, you know, my focus was like breathing and to, like yeah. surviving that climb. But then, like, when you go back home and, like, you think about it, like, you know, the journey by itself, like, the whole thing, mm-hmm. you're like, that was beautiful. In the sense, like, mm-hmm. like you being in the nature, you having y- your mind's clear, your thoughts are clear, you're yeah. thinking about these important things. Um, it's calm. It's pristine. These are mountains. And, like, you know, they always, like, it, it just shows you, like, you know, how small you are in front of these, like, big, gigantic things. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, all of that, like, that first experience has created, like, a strong uh, impression right. uh, towards like being in the nature. I I promise you this thing. Like I've been to like Yosemite three times before then, but then not one time did I enter the park. All three times we partied outside the park and then just left. So yeah. I've never yeah. I've been to Yosemite, but I've never seen the park before this. Um, yeah. yeah. So makes sense. That happens. Yeah, yeah. So it's just. I mean, yeah. I mean, the adventure part is fun, but then again, like yeah. um, I do these things even for running thing too. Like I do it more for like mental health. Um, yeah. um, I know how it has transformed my life. Um, and that's one reason like I keep in like a lot of my friends who have gone through like depression or like who've been mm-hmm. struggling to, with anxiety and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my message. That has been my message to them. And that has been my, I keep encouraging them to like get outside, mm-hmm. go for a walk, if not a run. Um, I want them to like come visit me so I can like take them on a hike. I can, I want I want them to experience what I experience, And I want to see like if they can, if that can make a change in their lives too. Yeah, makes sense. Because uh, I know what it so, has done to me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, just just so that, just to be responsible in terms of what we are communicating to the audience. So uh, I'm assuming that, you know, when you talk about depression and anxiety, you are getting medical help and you're, you're supplementing that with endurance activities, such as hiking and running, which is kind of helping with 
the uh, the mental health aspect correct yeah definitely just to make sure that I mean, we don't uh, we don't miscommunicate with those listening to this you yeah, know because yeah. because if you if you if you have depression or if you fear that you have depression get medical help that that should be the message no definitely right? and especially like south asians like i'm thinking that's our audience yeah. for this one right yeah. we have this taboo about like you know mm. hiring a therapist or like you know mm. just talking to a therapist about things like mental health or depression anxiety mm. or even like you know issues in the family or whatever that's like troubling you right. uh, i mean it's having a therapist is the best thing you could have like you know um, yeah. that's just the concept we don't have in india but yeah. i mean the therapists over here are pretty well trained as to like how they can help you with these things mm-hmm. so i highly recommend doing that uh, yeah. but then i go in i'm like saying like you know you can't supplement therapy but i'm yeah. saying that like you know being in the nature absolutely. enjoying these things also help you yeah absolutely like, no that's a mind. great message Yeah, absolutely. That's a great message. I think physical movement, you know, has a great bearing on mental health. I mean, for everyone, right? And uh, so that's a great, great message. And thanks for sharing that, you know, uh, uh, so candidly. Terrific. No, that's terrific. So, uh, so you started this. You you got you got hooked to mountaineering. You seem to have found peace uh, through uh, you know through this endurance, especially in out there in the mountains. and they seem to have <clears throat> taken it to another level this is 2014 and then what this year you know you did this double whammy and i think before that obviously you you kind of you went about peaking all the big ones out there but then talk, take take us uh, how did this uh, dream of doing two uh, big peaks uh, happen you know give us a bit of a background there how did that happen yeah Yeah. So I mean to be honest like I wasn't like planning on this thing. Um mm. I was just happy like doing my mountaineering. I would like you know make it like a pilgrimage thing to like climb Whitney, um mm. Mount Shasta, Mount Hood and Rainier once in a year. That was my thing. It's like you know I want to go to Whitney, I want to go soon after, I want to go to Shasta. But mm. this is like I need to do like we go to temples in India, right? I mean mm. I was doing this like the pilgrimage of like climbing the holy like the four like like mountaineering mountains in the yeah. lower 48 states. um and then like um i met i moved to san francisco and i happened to meet a friend uh, while running on the street who was going to go climb shasta and then so this is like the first time when i climbed shasta and then this guy and a brother uh, another friend of his both from honduras um they are the one who introduced me to this concept of like seven summits mm. um but i mean yeah anyway like you know in between this journey like over the period of time like i also enjoyed like doing these things for myself like just mm. soloing them or with like you know if it was mount rainier i would like find a partner to go climb it um but yeah it was just i was doing those climbs and i was like i want to test um i saw these guys like climbing aconcagua in argentina and then i reached out to them and i was like dude i mean how do you how do you transition from i've been doing these things i also climb with them so they know that i'm ready for these like how do you transition from like where i am to like these big mountains So they've guided me as to like that your next step should be Orizaba uh, which is a peak mm. it is like third tallest peak in North America 18500 it's in it's in Mexico they should just okay. go try, you should go check it out so it's like yeah I went to Mexico City um and I climbed Ista it is as a mountain like 17400 feet and Orizaba 18500 both like soloing it um mm. and then from there I was like okay I'm ready for like my next step which would have been Aconcagua So that was 2019. Um I had a pretty good climbing season 2019. Um I was pretty excited about like, you know, 
like way, bit like the direction I was going into. I focused like good four months of like training, tr- trying to like train towards Aconcagua. Mm-hmm. I was going to leave on Jan 10th of 2020. Um, on December 23rd, um, I went to a Christmas party um, and I was dancing and then somebody pushed somebody and then they came and followed me. I fell back and I broke my hand. Ouch. So, and again, yeah, I don't want to get into the details, but then it's been a pretty depressing month where I had to go through like a th- mm-hmm. three surgeries on the hand. Um, I couldn't mm-hmm. run. Um, um, I tore a ligament I, I, and I broke a bone and everything. So I couldn't, I couldn't run. I couldn't train as much as I wanted to. Um, but then again, like, you know, I was putting on weight. I was going, this also during the COVID time. Mm-hmm. So I had a surgery during the COVID. I was like isolating by myself. Um, I was going to physical therapy like two times a week, three times a week. And mm-hmm. I was having like back issues because I was sleeping on my side to like protect my arm. It was just a disastrous year to come from a peak year again. This is again like my ups and downs, right? It's like um, like in like in like in 2011, mm-hmm. like you know how it happened. Same thing, like you know, I was I was high. My dad, we were having like me and my dad were having like a, like a very kind of conversation. He was talking about like getting married, and I was mm-hmm. like, Dad, I'm like I, I remember telling him this, Dad, I'm in the best, in the happiest. Mm. Um, you know, um, I'm in the happiest phase of my life right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's important. I'm working on that too, but like, let me be for a little bit longer. Mm. And then this incident happened, and then the COVID happened, and then like you know, it brought its own issues. Like and again, like the whole you know anxiety of like you know and and being by yourself and and going to therapy. Um, and my hand took like three surgeries to get fixed. So I constantly had this doubt. It's also my right hand. It's also my dominant hand. Mm. So constantly doubted if I could ever like go back and like climb a mountain ever again. Um, mm. So while I was going through that, like, you know, um, I went through that. And I think like in March of 2021, my surgeon cleared me out, like going to a gym and can get back mm-hmm. into like physical activities. Um, so that whole year the, you were, you were sedate. I mean, it of took me like a like... month, like literally mm. it took me my my surgery, first surgery was on Jan 4th, 2020. And my last surgery was December 19th, 2020. So you were not allowed to move or do anything for the entire time? Not lift anything. I wasn't even lifting five pounds on this until like March mm-hmm. of 2020. Uh, but you could run and walk. You, you could move around, right? Yes. But then the only thing is like, I think it just, I mean, yes, I could. Um, but I was so scared that I would like fall again trip again on this hand and my doctor that's the first thing my doctor said like if you fall again on this hand if it tear into the ligament this that's going to have like serious repercussions yeah so i mean but again i was also going through another issue i was having like a lower back issue on the on the right side um where i was like struggling to like get off the pavement like anytime i would like get down the stairs or something like that there was like a sciatic nerve that's like shooting pretty hard um so between my therapy for my hand i was also going through my, my therapy for like you know, my lower back issues and everything. So anyways, long story short, it was like pretty like depressing COVID time for me and like having to deal with all together. But then again, that like, it's the same thing again, like, but on the positive side, like, you know, I put on weight and everything else. But then one thing that also took me out of this whole depression is that the wanting to climb mountains again. Right. So this time around, like, I know that you can climb Aconcagua only in like November and December. Mm. My plan was to like climb Aconcagua and then climb Denali. So, so Den- I'm, a, I'm an amateur photographer and mm-hmm. I saw Denali from like the national park and I just fell in love with this. And I also mm-hmm. wondered like when my imagination runs a little deep, um, mm-hmm. I, I wondered like what it would be to like be on the top of Denali and see everything around you, like these mountains mm-hmm. that I fell in love with. Right. 
Um, so the goal was Denali, but then I was climbing Aconcagua because I don't like to camp. I was like, let me just go on this journey to like Aconcagua and like climb it and then get ready to like uh, train for Denali. But then that wasn't an option anymore because um, this is March 2021. I didn't want to waste another year. So mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I'm going to go for Denali by itself. So I moved to Boulder, um, like to be close to the mountains. I picked up a strength coach I watched in one of the videos. Uh, this is like Meru. Um, so I think, um, I think Conrad Anker was working out at this gym. And there's a lady who was like training him. So mm-hmm. I was like, I want to work with that lady. Um, mm-hmm. I reached out to her in March. I said, you know what? I'm not ready to like train yet, but I'm mm-hmm. getting there. I know that I'll be there. I'll be ready in like a month. And I want to come work with you. Um, yeah. So I moved to Boulder. Um, I strength trained with her for like two months. Um, I signed up for a Denali climb. Uh, with, I didn't use any guide services or anything. Um, I met some friends while climbing and I decided to go with them. So my first climb was Denali last year. Um, with and three of my other buddies, um, yeah, that was that was that was one of the most beautiful climbs, and that's how it started. And I think when I was on that climb, there were a couple of guys who just finished Everest. Um, so, so this climb was in the end of June. So people usually um, so, and there was these guys who climbed Everest and then flew directly from Everest over to Denali to like to go on like to climb like Denali, right? So they saw me at like uh, the high camp, the fourteen camp. Um, and then they were like, um, I mean, I was interested in like their story as to like how Victoria Everest was, because it was a prior year. Everybody was talking about the traffic jam and everything else. So I was like curious about like what their experience was. Um, and when I was talking to them, they're like, dude, I mean, we saw you climb and I think you, you are ready for this thing. Mm-hmm. We're like, you've strong, you, 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 you're a pretty strong climber. Um, and you, you move well with the weight and everything else too. You should seriously think about this. That's the they planted that seed into my head and i think so when i was coming back from the mountain i wanted to explore if that is a possibility too Mm. so i just come back home and i like you know i was training for like chicago marathon and the cim last year and then i got injured halfway into it so i took a couple of um, months rest and i you know just started my endurance training again with the goal to climb aconcagua uh, which is the tallest peak in South America mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then tallest peak outside of Himalayas. Uh, but then I also want to like do this by myself, like solo mm-hmm. it. Um, like no guides, um, you know, no porters, any of that. I want to like solo it and I want to see, um, you know, how I do. Because, I mean, one thing it's just like, you know, you keep hearing these stories about like um, amateur climbers going up to Everest and like killing themselves. I just mm-hmm. don't want to be a casualty. Neither do I want to be... I don't want to come back dead or I don't yeah. want to cause something on the, on the rope. You hear stories about like people like just, just dying on the rope. I didn't want to be one of those. And I want to like make sure that I was ready for this. So I claim Aconcagua solo completely by myself. When, when, was, was, that? Told, when was that? When was that? Um, Aconcagua was Jan of this year. Okay. Yeah. So they closed Argentina the last two years and they opened Aconcagua only on the 1st of Jan, hmm. only until Feb 15th, only 45 days. And okay. I had to work. I work in finance. So I have to work the year end. So work the year end. And then soon after that, I just took the bus directly to Aconcagua and I climbed that one. Um, and I came back down on Jan 28th. Um, as soon as I came back down, I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty excited. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I climbed a big mountain, um, but I was like, my eyes were already set on Everest. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, 
I've been like listening to podcasts for the last two years, like various like climbers, climbing and everything else. And I was like fascinated by the thought of like Everest and Lotse. But again, it's mm. the same question everybody has, like, you know, like, an, like climbing Everest by itself is a huge endeavor. Do I yeah. have it in me to like climb both Everest and also Lotse? Like mm. I know how my body functions at like 6,000, which is Denali. And I know how it functions at 7,000, Aconcagua. But I wasn't quite sure if I was ready for like, I can, you know, Everest and Lotse. So like right before I did uh, Aconcagua, so I what, also... What, um, so, you know, uh, as, you, as you go, as you tell us more about this, but um, uh, was there, I mean, do you, did you have any sense of fear at all when looking at climbing both um, while that idea was just kind of forming? Was there yeah. any sense of fear at all or was it just like, hey, let's go for it, man. Let's go make this happen. No, I mean, it, it definitely was, a, I mean, that was the goal, right? I mean, mm. um, so I, I, look, I calculated it's supposed to be 1800 um, meters elevation mm. gain in total altogether. Like mm. from and Camp 4, you go up a thousand meters to the summit of Everest and then mm. you come back down and then you drop another 400 meters and then you climb another 800 meters. Mm. So, I mean, it's easy to keep climbing, but then it's hard mm. to climb and then come back down and climb up again. Like mm. you're using a different set of muscles and you get tired and all that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't sure if I had the endurance. I mean, endurance, I was good, but then I just didn't know how it was at 8,000 meters. Um, yeah, because I was I was just doing, I did a quick, quick Google. Uh, there are about 100 people so far who've done that. You know, you're one among those 100. 100 people out of the 7 billion human beings on this planet who's, who's yeah. actually uh, done that. So yeah. um, it must be something very unique to a personality to have just 100 people to choose to do that, right? Why wouldn't yeah. everybody do that, right? So yeah. So what's what's behind that? I To be very honest, it wasn't for a record per se, but then mm. no Indian has done it. And I wanted, mm. I wanted to do it. Mm. Like no Indian has done it. And so, I mean, I looked, I mean, when I was in the exploring phase, I was trying to decide if it was a good idea. And I wanted to talk to somebody who has done it so I could like learn, learn through their experience. And I couldn't find very, any Indians. And the Mm. closest anybody has done before then was like five days in between Everest and Lhotse. Mm. Um, And I reached out to like a few other climbers who've done it uh, from Norway, one from England. Um, they just gave me a basic idea. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah. so, yeah. So it's like I did another climb before Aconcagua when I went to Argentina, uh, where I climbed a 6,000 meter peak in a matter of like five days. And the summit mm. day was going from like 4,000 meters all the way to 6,000 meters. So it was a 2,000 meter climb on a single day with not much acclimatization. And I think that climb gave me a confidence that I could mm. climb 2,000 meters on a single push, even at high altitude. Um, but I mean, I think in Everest, like I didn't have oxygen in, uh, in Argentina, but then I knew that it was possible uh, with with a bit of oxygen, I could do that. So that's a conference I gained out of that experience mm-hmm. in Argentina, mm-hmm. right? So when I came back, like, you know, uh, when I came back from Argentina, um, I reached out to Uphill Athlete. It's an agency mm-hmm. where they train like the super athletes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like anybody who wants to go climb Everest, so I reached out to one of the coaches over there and was asking him, like, I mean, you know, dude, I mean, I want to go climb Everest. I didn't want to say Everest and Lhotse because I was like, so, I don't know why. I was like so intimidated to like even say that, uh, like I want to climb both mountains when I don't have any 8,000 meter experience. 
Um, and he was like, um, so he said, I mean, I said, I want to understand like where I fall in the spectrum. Do you think I'm like qualified enough to like climb Everest? Because I don't want to be a casualty. I want to go when I'm ready. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to push for it. Um, I want to do the right thing. So I want you to guide me if you think I'm like, I'm ready for this. So he's one of the guides who like coaches a lot of the clients from Seven Summits. Um, it's called Climbing mm-hmm. the Seven Summits. It's an exploration company. So he looks at my, you know, I told him like what I do. And it's like, you fall right in between. You, mm-hmm. you need the two experience, not to like know, know we an amateur. I think you're ready for this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and so I asked him like, you know, I want you to help me like and guide me for the next two months to like train for this endeavor. And he said, I would, yeah, they usually need a four-month commitment, but he said, like, for you, I'll take a two-month commitment. Mm. And so he guided me the next two months. I didn't, st- I still didn't tell him that I was going to climb both the mountains. Really? I was too shy. I was mm. like, I, don't, I mean, I, he might laugh at it. Like, so I just mm. don't want to tell him that. Mm. But I think those two months too, when he gave me the exercises and everything else, like I would say, I need more. I need, if I want, if I were to do more, what should I be doing? Mm. And then he would give me that, you know, and then I would do it. So in a way, in my head, I always knew that I was going to climb both. Mm. But then I didn't tell this to very many friends, even my parents, even my dad too. Um, but as soon as I got to Nepal, that was the first thing I did. I, I signed mm. up for both Everest and Lhotse. I was, I was feeling good. Like I knew that my endurance was, was, was strong. Um, mm. I knew mentally that, you know, I, that's my mental strength. I, I know sure. that I can do it. Like there was mm. no question like in my head as to can do it. Mm. I was only feared. I mean, I was only scared about the altitude. Uh, at that point, like I knew that my endurance and like my keep, like my strength wise, I'm, mm. I'm ready for this. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I consulted people. I mm. did the right things. Um, and I went through the journey. I didn't jump from like run, you know, like and climbing four thousand meter peaks in the US yeah, to like yeah. I did I did Denali, which is considered by many as like one of the hardest yeah. climbs to do. Um and I climbed Aconcagua solo. So like it just like mentally, I it's a good mental preparation and also like mm-hmm. a physical preparation going into Everest. Yeah. And I had like a good like eight month or uh, like a one year of good block mm-hmm. um where I was like training for these expeditions. And also was at that point, at some point last year, like in between October to like December, right before Concagua, or even like from July, I was running at least like 45 to 50 miles. And then like October to December, I was like running like 60 to 80 miles a week. Mm. So I knew that like, you know, I was pretty confident going into, and then the last two months I focused just on strength. Um, So I had everything going, you know, I had the momentum, I had the the endurance, I had the physical strength. Um, Yeah, I mean, in, in the most humble way, um, yeah. I still didn't tell a lot of people. I mean, since like I, I mean, it's I don't believe in like conquering mountains. I you know mm-hmm. I believe in like you know and and going to them and and seeking and permission to climb the mountain. Yeah, yeah. and them letting me climb. And that's that's the principle. You know, that's the philosophy mm-hmm. I come from mm-hmm. when I look at a mountain. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if it allows me, if there's mm-hmm. good weather, I wanted to climb them both in the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, what, so, that, so, so that was uh, so. So, if you were to, uh, so I think you did it. What in June this year, correct? Uh, uh, May of this uh, year. Well, May of this year, you submitted. So, yeah. So let's maybe zoom into that. You know, uh, the actual uh, D day itself. Uh, how yeah. how did that go? Uh, um, so I started my. I, I flew into Lukla. That's where the like yeah. the trek to base camp starts on the tenth of April, and I got to the base camp on the seventeenth. Um, mm. we had like, 
we had like two rotations, uh, um, like like almost like three rotations. Um, for one rotation, instead of like going up the Kumbu Icefall, which is the most dangerous part of like that, that's where most deaths on Everest happen, besides the summit day, because you you're, you're climbing through this glacier that like shifts about three feet every day. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you walk in, if it shifts, you just fall into a crevasse if you're not doing the right things, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of like, I mean, to avoid that risk, we climbed another neighboring peak uh, called Lubuche East mm-hmm. as our first expedition, as our first rotation. That's about like 61, 30 feet or some uh, meters. Um, so we did that um, and then we came back to the base camp, which is at like 17,500 feet. Um, and we did a second rotation. We go up to like camp one. We spend a night over there go touch camp two, which is at 6,400 meters. Um, and then we spend a night over there. And then we wake up next morning, go touch camp three, which is at like 7,500 meters approximately. And then we come all the way back down to base camp. So we do th- we do these like in a rotation mode for like an acclimatization to like, uh, and, and so, give your uh, body. So I just lost you there for a minute. I, I uh, oh. can you just rewind? I think you were talking about. Um, I think when I lost you, you were you were talking about the second, uh, the second rotation. Yeah. So the second rotation, we actually uh, and I climbed through the Kumbu Ice Fall, um, went to Camp One, um, which is about 6,100 6, meters. Um, we spent the night over there, and then the next morning we reached Camp Two, which is at 6,400 meters. And then we spend an extra night over there. Like the whole concept of like um, um, the whole concept of like an you know, acclimatization is to like you know and kind of climb up and sleep low. Yeah. So as we already done our acclimatization to sixty one hundred, we felt comfortable going up to camp one and sleeping over there that night, and then going up to camp two, and then like in, it, there's not a whole lot of like and a difference in uh, you know elevation between camp one and camp two. So we were comfortable sleeping there that night. Um, mm-hmm. We woke up next morning. And then we climbed, we were supposed to climb up to camp three. Yeah. So that is at like 7,400 meters, mm-hmm. um, which is, but that's when you like climb, there's a mountain and then there's, um, which is, uh, it's called West, Western Coombe, I believe. Um, and then from there, when you climb on from camp two to camp three, you're climbing the Lhotse face. So for anyone, any climber to climb Everest, Mount Everest, you have to climb the Lhotse face, uh, which is the steepest, one of the, you know, some of the steepest and the climbs that you will do on the Everest climb. Um, you climb up to the Lhotse face, uh, you go to camp three. Um, yeah. So I, I went all the way to camp three. I touched camp three and then we didn't sleep over there. We just came all the way back down to camp two. Mm. We spent an extra night over there um, and then went all the way back down to base camp. So at this point, my body was like acclimated to like 7,500 meters without any oxygen. Um, I knew I was, yeah. And that is one of the tests I want to do too. I mean, in my mind, I had my own game as to like, I want to understand like how my body reacts to these, like, you know, altitude changes Mm -hmm. and everything. At 7,500 meters, I was like pushing faster than any of my teammates. um, And I was feeling pretty strong without oxygen. So I reached out to my Sherpa and asked him, like, you know, what do you think of, like, me doing both? He said, like, you, mm. I think, because, I mean, one of the things is, like, you know, I might be, like, I, I have grand plans and I want to do them all. But then at every point, I also, and I, I have confidence I can do them all. But mm. then I also, I mean, I seek this validation from another person who's experienced, like, you know, it could be yeah. a guide, it could be a mentor, it could be my Sherpa, 
because I don't want to do anything stupid on the mountain. I don't want to, I don't want to be a casualty. That's the end of the thing. Yeah. It's like, I want to have a good adventure. I want to have fun. Um, I want to, I want to chase these like big goals that I have. But then again, at the same time, I want to be responsible too. Absolutely. Yeah. So I reached out to him and then he said like, you know, I think you should be good. Um, mm. So that, that, you so, know, that. I, so, um, so the, the Sherpas that you work with, right. So uh, are they, uh, are they like, uh, equipped to do that as well, or do you specifically pick certain Sherpas who are experienced in doing both before you even? Sherpas are human, like you know, these are like super humans. Like I don't mm. know, I mean, they amaze me. They amaze me. They, I mean, we call. I mean, I see climbers in the Western world. You know, all. I mean, it's no disrespect to anyone. I'm just, I'm just comparing them, right? It's like, you know, we we talk about like how amazing these athletes are over here in the US mm, and mm. in the Europe and everything else. And I look at these like ordinary guys from Nepal. I mean, not ordinary in sense, like I know they're all, you know, like the, like the Sherpa tribe in general, right? Um, they are super athletes, like next level athletes, mm. like not just the Sherpas in general, like, you know, I've seen the porters, like these are kids who are like 15, 16, 17 years of age who are carrying my, 60 pounds and another 30 pounds, 90 pounds of weight backpacks, mm. or sometimes even more, even 120 pounds maybe on their backs. And these are like skinny guys who are like only like five, six and five, eight, who mm. are running elevations on, on the base camp trek. So these guys work on these routes for a couple of years before they go on to become Sherpas. So they're like physically strong. They're like the strongest people like I've ever met in general. Mm-hmm. I saw them climbing, um, you know, I would, for the most part in the base camp, you just sit over there and you see people climbing, like on the Sherpas, mm-hmm. like fixing ropes and everything else. And that's one thing that amazes me. I would just sit over there and like see when a guy would like pass. We had the last camp on the base mm-hmm. camp. So mm-hmm. I would see like when a, when a Sherpa would like start at, you know, where we were to the point that he would like reach the top. It would mm-hmm. just maybe take him like maybe like a couple hours at the very max mm-hmm. if he like pushes it. These guys are super athletes. Um, so, I mean, one, there are they um, do, you know, um, are they, their technical skills, some are really good. Some are able to like fix it up all the way to summit. So their like, te- technical skills are, pretty, are, are, are very strong. Um, um, they probably might lack something like an you know, avalanche, like, you know, they don't have proper training in like, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like to detect if an avalanche could happen, etc. But then they're pretty strong in like fixing it up. They're pretty strong in like climbing mountains. They're pretty strong in like, you know, using all the right gear and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. They carry like 60 pounds and like, like they climb with you, like as if it's nothing. They're not even breathing at that point. Like they're like, mm-hmm. it's too easy for them. Yeah. Yeah. So they right. are, I mean, most Sherpas are capable of like climbing both Everest and Lhotse. say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Great. Great. So, so tell us how was it uh, to, so, um, yeah. to do so, to both? When you, uh, I think I went uh, to camp three. Uh, I was mm-hmm. talking about like, you know, I went to camp three and I come back down and then I flew from camp three back to uh, a lower elevation, which is Namche Bazaar. Um, mm-hmm. to like, you know, just get more oxygen for my body to recover faster. Because mm-hmm. every time you go on these climbs, you're not eating, your body doesn't, I mean, it doesn't want to take and accept food. So you get mm-hmm. weaker. So the one way to like regain all that energy is to like go down to like a lower camp, which I did to Lukla, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. to Namche Bazaar. I spent there like four days and I was just waiting for a good um, window mm-hmm. uh, to like climb the mountain, right? Mm-hmm. So this, and the ropes were fixed. 
So there was a rope team that's like working to fix the ropes all the way to the summit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were waiting for that to happen. And that happened around like May 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was coming down from the camp three, from my second rotation down to base camp, I saw people like climbing up to do their summit rotation to like, you know, like to get to the summit. That's around the same time when I went to Lukla, uh, sorry, to Namcha Bazaar. I spent four days over there. I recovered, like eat well, sleep well, mm-hmm. recover, gain all the energy. And you come back again to the base camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look for a good, and a, like a window. And for me, it's a little bit more tricky because like I was willing to wait to mm. get it two good days back to back because I want to do them both in the same day. Both. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just playing those mind games, right? Because you're like, right, you right. don't want to sit at the base camp forever waiting mm-hmm. for that window to come. It may or might not, it might, it may never come. So it's just that, like, you know, having that patience, that's another thing that I learned from this whole thing is experience as to mm-hmm. like how important it is to be patient when you're on a mountain. Um, that's like a very critical factor um when you're climbing big mountains um having yeah. uh, having patience so yeah i mean i was waiting over there to like to get a good window um there was like a little like, there was a decent window between like the 16 and 17 um my my expression leader thought that maybe i should wait for a little longer um but then um and i i had my own friends you know who are looking at the weather conditions and everything else and uh, they thought it was it was a decent weather that I could take a chance on. Um, and so I just said, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. Um, so okay. the same thing, like, you know, on the summit day, what happens is like we go from the base camp, we cross camp one, we don't stop at camp one. We push directly from the base camp to camp two, which is mm-hmm. at 6,400 meters. And then we sleep at night over there. And then we wake up next morning and then we push towards camp three um, and we sleep a night over there. And then from camp three, we go directly to camp four mm-hmm. the next morning, but then we don't sleep at camp four. At camp four, what you're basically doing is like, you start at eight o'clock in the morning at camp three, you get to camp four by like noon. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you pass through the yellow band and everything. You pass through Lhotse camp four. So Lhotse is a mountain, which is next to Everest. So you pass through Lhotse Camp 4 and then you like, you know, make a left and you climb towards Everest Camp 4, which is on mm-hmm. a coal between Lhotse and Everest, right? Um, so we go over there, we go there like at 4 o'clock, uh, sorry, at like around like 12-ish, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then we just like rested. We couldn't, I mean, that's, and I use oxygen between like Camp 3 and Camp mm-hmm. 4. Um, and I, I was over there for like six hours, I believe, approximately. Uh, no, I think more than that, like six to seven hours, eight hours, something like that. Um, we just like laid back and rested and like drank water, just like replenished. Um, and, you know, just was like, I was just charging up for like summit push that night. Mm. Um, so around like eight, eight o'clock, we just like, you know, um, we just got up the tent, made sure that like, you know, all the gear is like, properly attached and everything else. And like, we started our climb at like nine o'clock that evening. Mm. Um, yeah, so... Everest, like, I think my first instinct when I looked at Everest, like, you know, coming through Lhotse phase, you make a left and you look at the right side and the left side. I mean, I've been looking at Everest. When you're in Camp 3, you look like, that's okay. That's not too steep. I can do this thing. That, that was the mindset in my head. Like, it doesn't look so bad. Like, you know, everyone talks about, like, Lhotse phase being, like, the steepest phase. Like, off the camp, it's a pretty gradual, um, it's, it's a pretty gradual incline for, like, maybe, like, 200 meters. 
But then after that, there was just like a 70 degree wall that you have to climb. And mm. this was the wall I was like dreading because I saw when the, the, the other in the morning when I was coming into camp four, I saw people climbing down and I wondered if I can even do that thing. It was pretty, it was pretty steep. It's like, yeah, to like have it in front of you and to like look up and like, you know, look at the peak of the mountain was just amazing. It's like next level. Um, I saw people mm. coming down and then these looked like ants off the mountain. And uh, mm. yeah, I mean, imagining myself to be there was like, you know, I was getting like a little thrill about the whole thing. But I was pretty scared too, because it looked pretty steep from like down from camp four. Um, we started the climb at like eight o'clock in the evening. So the first like 200 meters were like pretty gradual. Um, I'm looking at it. Um, I think people started climbing it at like six o'clock. I thought I would be one of the first one to like start climbing, but then I saw people like climbing with like headlamps at like six o'clock. I could see like those like small tiny dots like going up the mountain. Mm. Um, so it was like pretty fascinating. I would just like open up my my tent window and like keep looking at them like climbing up. I want to see like I'm curious about like how fast they would be climbing up and like in all kind of like in metrics. Just like all playing in my head at that point. I was pretty excited to like just go do this thing. Um, for the first 200 meters, it was like pretty gradual incline. Um, but again, like I think eight o'clock was the peak time and there was like a lot of people like coming out of the tents, like, um, and uh, attend the summit. So the lines mm -hmm. kept getting like there's more and more people like converging to like climb up. Um, so the once you like go to, um, it's an initial, it's a gradual incline. And after that, like, um, you're supposed to climb a wall. Um, so there's like two main spots on Everest. One is the balcony, which I believe is like 8,400 meters. And then the south summit, which is, I believe it's like 8,600 meters. And then mm -hmm. summit is at 8,848, right? So, so from the south pole, which is at 7,900, you're climbing all the way to like 8,400, um, about, about approximately, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, so anything after that, like the gradual incline was just like a steep, I would say like a 70 degree, 75 degree angle climb. Um, and everyone's like one behind each other. Like, you know, we all had a traffic jam over there. Um, there was a lady who was attempting it without oxygen. So, I mean, for them, it's like much harder because like for every step that he did, like three, 10 times. But what that was doing was like everybody who was behind her, we were just like waiting for her to like cross through. So my shepherd was like, you know, let's just cut through this and like, get, let's get off the road. So, I mean, yeah, that means that we need to like climb much faster than the other climbers. So he just took us off the road. Mm. And, um, yeah, we, we, we crossed the lady who was like climbing without oxygen. Um, it was steep, but it's also like one of the most beautiful hikes because I would like keep you know, looking mm. back at it. Um, you're at like almost at like 8,200, 8,300 meters at that point. When you look around, like there are like several of these like big 8,000 meter peaks that are like way below you. Mm. I'm talking about like Makalu. Um, and I could see this like beautiful lightning in the background. And I was like, you know, knocking my shepherd was like seriously climbing. I'm like, Hey, look over there. There's lightning. And I was like, you'll see much more of this thing. I like, just keep climbing for now. <laughs> so I was like, I was pretty excited. Like, I mean, like, to be honest, I enjoyed it. Like, I truly, genuinely, mm -hmm. that's, that was the moment, I think, like, I mean, climbing and going to the summit was, like, it was a great experience. It was mm. painful, but then again, like, there was no question in my mind that, like, you know, if I would climb it, I knew that I was going to climb it. It was just a matter mm -hmm. of time as to, like, how long it's going to take me. But I also want to, like, 
look back and see and enjoy this view. Because yeah. I mean, they say like Everest is a life, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it costs a lot of money. I would do it. If I could afford to do it every year, I would do it every year. That, mm-hmm. you know. And so it was important for me to like look around, like see things and enjoy like every aspect of it. And yeah. I was like looking behind, like seeing Makalu and then it's like lightning that's like, you know, it's, it's popping up every like few seconds. And I was like enjoying this whole thing. Um, so you go, so you, so you climb up, you make a right turn and then you go to the balcony. It is mm. called balcony for a reason. Like you just stand over there, it's like 8,400 meters and you look mm. everything around you. It's like, it's a, it's a nice platform. That's where like you change oxygen bottles. Like, um, okay. Because you want to have a fresh bottle from there onto the summit and then all the way back there. So while he was changing the oxygen, um, it was just, again the same thing with the beautiful view of the whole valley, like the Kumbu Valley in front of you. You could see people climbing opposite you on Lotse. Um, so I could see for the first time, like, as to how steep Lutze, Lutze climb is like much steeper than Everest climb. Um, so I could see like how steep that climb is. And I was like, warming about like how beautiful it is that they're climbing. Cause when you see these like tiny little dots at like high up, I mean, this is not like stars in the sky, but this is like stars on the mountain, like slowly like climbing up. It's a beautiful sight. I and mean, that's what I enjoy the most about like climbing in general, uh, the views and scenery around. Yeah. So we spent about 15, 20 minutes over there. Um, and then we reached the South Summit. And they say that like once anybody reaches South Summit, you're guaranteed that you're going to like make it to the summit. Um, I think my first reaction when I got to the South Summit was, was, is it like, I'm, I'm not again in the most humble way. I'm going to say this thing as to like, I was enjoying the climb. I, I, re- like, I wish it just never ended. Like for me, I just want to like keep going, like, you know. It's good that I also have oxygen with me, so that's helpful. But then again, like, I was enjoying the sight around me. The sun was just like, you know, um, it, was, it didn't show up, but then I could see that it's in the horizon. Like, this is like a strip that's like coming out of, um, uh, this is a, a strip of light that's like, you know, on the horizon. Um, and I could see once you go to the south summit, uh, you have the summit ridge. Um, uh, it's, I think it's like maybe 200, you know, maybe like 200 meters maybe from there towards like not of elevation but like distance uh no i think even less than that maybe 100, 100 meters or something like to the summit but then i knew that there was like one other aspect of the whole climb um that i have to like deal with one was the dead body of like scott fisher i think that's uh, maybe i'm missing the name i think that's scott fisher um so everybody talks about when everybody talks about everest they talk about the movie everest and he was an expedition leader who died on Everest in 1996. I know I have to pass through his body. That was one. And then I have to pass through, um, what they call the Hillary step, um, which they say is the challenge between you and the summit. Um, it's a pretty like steep rock face at an 80 degree angle. There's nothing in the bottom. You're supposed to hold a rope and like cross it. Like you just have to traverse it. Um, if you fall, I mean, if, I mean, I'm attached to a rope, but then if you fall, you fall like 6,000, uh, and, and a feet below. And then as soon as you're crossing it, there's another dead body right across, um, you know, just like laying back on the rock and like looking into the valley. Um, so in, these are things I know I'm going to see because I've been reading about mm. them, been watching like a lot of documentaries about them. Um, and I go to the Hillary step and my Sherpa says, this is easy. Just hold on the rope and like keep crossing. And I look at it and I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like you said, watch me. 
and you put his first feet on it, and then his feet like slip on the cramp, like it's a rock, mm. and you're wearing crampons. The moment mm-hmm. you put your crampon on the rock, it's gonna slide, and he slide, he slid. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> My Sherpa was like, What do you mean you're not doing that? <laughs> so I said, You know what? I'm gonna climb. Uh, so there's a ridge right above it. Mm. I said, I'm gonna climb that ridge. Mm. He said, Are you sure? I said, I'm gonna climb the ridge. So I climbed the ridge. I didn't take the Hillary step. I climbed the ridge. I got off another section. Um, and I saw the dead body. And uh, I know his name is Lager Don. Um, he climbed one of my friends when he passed away in 2019. Um, mm. I saw him. And then I think I took like a couple more steps and my, um, and I couldn't breathe. Like I felt like there's something going on and I can't breathe anymore. And I think that's the first time it struck me as to like how dangerous it is. Mm. Because one, they say that you have one third oxygen up at that altitude. Two, I couldn't, there was no oxygen supply into my oxygen mask. Something was blocking it. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it was also, I mean, it also was covering my nose and my mouth, so I couldn't breathe anything. And my Sherpa was like, I mean, he was a little further up ahead of me. And I think I, you're, I mean, you're trying to like breathe, you can't breathe, and your brain just freezes because it stopped thinking. It, it, when, mm-hmm. when it doesn't get the oxygen, it doesn't function. So it's like, you know, it just like froze over there, and I like stood over there. And there are people behind me, and they're like, could you move? I'm like, I can't. I'm, <laughs> I'm nothing. Like, uh, it's it's only like one way lane, like you know, only mm. one person can climb. But at the same time, I'm like, I cannot move from here. Um, and my Sherpa, like, and it took me like a good like a minute. I took the mask off. I was like mm. breathing, like you know, it's like, <laughs> like I was scared, or like you know, it's like yeah, mm. I was. I thought I was gonna die over there. I was like, this is how things can go wrong so quickly. One moment I was like climbing so positively, I was longing for this not to ever end. And this other moment, I was like there, like trying to gasp air and like just to stand still. And my Sherpa comes down and it's like, what happened? I said, like, I can't breathe. He said, mm. take five steps, come up here. Because he's um, he has an ascender. So mm. he can only go up. For him to like come back down, he has to like remove that and everything, which is not so advised at that altitude. Mm-hmm. So he said, take five steps. And I mm. think I took those five steps, but then I think it took me like a good like three or four minutes. Like mm. you take a step, you breathe. You take a step, you breathe 15 minutes, You take uh, f- f- like 15 times. You take mm. a step, you like breathing everything, your mouth, your nose, everything into your lungs. You're breathing so hard. Mm. When you stop, you like, it doesn't even occur to your mind that you need to stop breathing. You're safe because you're standing mm. still because you're trying to like get as much air as you can. So I'm like, <sighs> my shepherd mm. was like, calm down. Like just stop for a second, take it easy. I'm going to change it really quick. And he like changed the regulator on my thing and, it, and, um, and I put it back on. But then the thing was like, my mind was still frozen. It was just like thinking about like, what did I just do in the last two or three minutes? I was in a state of shock the whole time. And so, I mean, the summit was just like 20 feet or 30 feet, like walking, like, you know, and we like almost literally ran to the summit. But then as I sat over there, I can, and when I'm walking, I can see like the sun, like, you know, this is like a slit in the sky, the sun beautifully coming up. And there's a shadow of the, uh, of the mountain on the other side. And there was this beautiful, like full moon right in the middle of this like shadow. I'm enjoying, I'm looking around. I'm like, my mind's like looking at like, wow, wow. But it's also like, shit, what the fuck just happened? Beep again. What, what, <laughs> what, what, what just happened? Like you were about to die. So I think. Mm-hmm. 
even when I sat down in the summit, like, you know, while I was like, you know, holding my flag, I was holding my Bank of America, I work for Bank of America, I was like proudly showing that, you know, mm-hmm. like their flag. Um, and there were other emotions too, like, you know, um, I used to say a lot of my clients and like, you know, I, you know, I used the support of my mom when I climbed, when I needed help, mm-hmm. uh, when I needed help from external forces or whatever. Um, I, I think of my mom, there's like a lot of emotions going on. I was like crying on one end. I was like looking around me, there's everything around me is like beautiful. At the same time, like my mind, like, you know, it's still like you barely survived over there. Like it was still in the state of like shock. So there was like a lot of like mixed emotions going on and all at the same time. Um, yeah. So that was it. Like, you know, I spent 15 awesome. minutes over there. I looked around, walked around, um, and I started coming down. Um, so c- coming down, I had to go through the Hillary step. And this time I didn't have a choice because mm. ledge, when you climb a ledge up, it's not bad because like you're climbing up. But then when you climb a ledge down, you like climbing at like 8,700 80, 8, meters. Like climbing a ledge down is like the scariest thing. You you don't want to mm. do that thing. I was like, okay, I'm just going to like get over this thing and I'm going to climb the Hillary step. Um, so I did that. I used my hands and everything else. It felt comfortable, much comfortable. Um, and I, I was coming back. I came all the way back, all the way back down to camp four. Um, mm. And from there, like, you know, it's just a matter of like, you know, I was, I was healthy. I was stronger. I was feeling stronger. My chef was like, do you need something to eat? I ate something. He's like, what do you think? You do want to push for lots? I'm like, you're ready. Yes. Like, I wanted to do it in 15 hours. I was like, I was so ready for this. But then like, and a few things happened. I couldn't sleep well on a camp three. Um, and so I just like passed out. Like, I just don't know how it happened, but it just like passed out. Um, I took the oxygen off. I was able to like sleep peacefully. My, you know, my Sherpa kept waking me up. Are you okay? Like every one hour, two hours, I was like, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Um, and then, uh, like as soon as it got around like three o'clock, I started like reaching out to my expedition leader who was at the base camp. We started asking him like, how is the weather looking for tomorrow? Cause I want to push for let's say, I feel, I feel strong. I feel confident. I have the energy in me. I want to do this thing. Um, mm. He said there's a small possibility of like winds. Um, not very many people are climbing today. You might, if you climb, you probably might be the only person. Are you okay with that? I said like, I'm, I'm great. Like, you know, I've always climbed solo. I have that, like it, it's me and my mission. That's about it. Like nothing in between. Um, I said, I'm ready for this. So we took, I was the only one, like my whole team was like way behind me. They were like a couple of days behind me. Um, so it was just me and my Sherpa and my entire team. Um, we just packed everything. We went to Lotse uh, camp. We dropped off a few stuff over there. We changed our oxygen cylinders. We wanted to like, carry like a brand new one on my backpack. And we, we had one uh, dropped somewhere up there so I could use it. Um, so, but then I didn't, yeah, I just needed one, I guess. Um, and I thought, I mean, I reached out to a few friends who said that it took them like eight and a half hours to like climb, like to the, like to the summit. And I was hoping that probably might, you know, that's the reason I was like approximating it that I need to like leave eight hours before it. So I could like get there within 24 hours. That's the goal that I want to do. Um, and I started like climbing Lotse. And I think one of the mental challenges that I always had was like, I can climb up and climb back down, but then I wasn't sure if I would have you know, like my, if my legs would, how my legs would function if I were to climb back up again another 800 meters. Mm. Uh, that was one thing that always was like, you know, um, was playing in my head. I took the first like four or five steps and I had like a positive, like strong foothold. Mm. And I was sure there's like nothing stopping. 
uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a Sherpa said that too. Like as soon as you like, you know, we like maybe like 10 minutes into it, it's like, you're going to do this thing. Like you, 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 yes. you're moving pretty strong. So, I mean, it's good that I had a pretty good Sherpa who always like constantly gave me like positive feedback. It's like, dude, you're doing pretty strong, um, you know, and he kept pushing me. Um, so Lutsi face is like, you know, you're climbing in a Kulur, which is like a small slit on a mountain. So Everest was like open face, mm -hmm. right? Like you're climbing on the face of a mountain. So there's nothing around you. You have like unobstructed views of the whole mountain. But when you're climbing Lhotse, you are like climbing, like there's literally like a small slit in a mountain and you're like climbing up mm. that mountain, 70 degree vertical, the whole stretch. It's called a Kulur. Mm. So you just like, I mean, there was a point where I was like climbing it and then you hint, enter the Kulur. Once you get into the Kulur, there's nothing to see because uh, it's rock on both sides. The only view that you would have is to like look back and like look at Everest, and which is a beautiful sight too, because you could see the other side of the things. Now you could be on Lhotse at that elevation and see like the lights like going up, like Everest face. That was beautiful. Um, yeah. So Lhotse took me uh, about like five and a half hours. Everest from the base camp to the summit took me like eight, seven hours, fifteen minutes to like climb to the summit. Um, Lhotse from like camp four to the summit took me about like, um, I think four hour, 15 minutes, oh no, five hour, 30 minutes. Um, I thought I would reach there at like four o'clock in the morning, but then I reached there at like 12, 15 or something in the night. So I moved much faster than I was expecting, um, that I would move, uh, almost like three hours faster than I would move. So it was a pretty, pretty solid climb for me. Um, that's one of those days, like you feel like you cannot be stopped. Like, I mean, I say that in the most humble way, cause like. I mean, I could only climb when the mountain let me climb. And that's one of the days I felt like there was nothing between me and the mountain. Mountain wants me to climb because it was a beautiful weather. Beautiful. There was nobody. There was no, one of the climber, a Russian climber, who was like in the, a couple hours behind me. It was just me and the mountain. It's like, this is one of those things. Like you always talk about, everyone talks about like, you know, Everest. The, the very moment you say Everest, people talk about like, oh, is it like traffic jams? Like, you know, you see like deaths on the mountain, you see traffic jam. That's the vision that comes to you after 2019. But then here I am, you know, doing something that I want to do. It's been a dream for those like six months or seven, um, eight months since I finished uh, like, like, like Denali. And I'm climbing this mountain. The mountain is giving me energy back to like climb it faster. Like there were people who climbed just Lhotse and they took eight hours to climb it. And I climbed Lhotse in like five and a half hours. I was like, there's nothing stopping me today because a mountain is giving me the energy to climb it. So that was like a very, I mean, that's just the way I thought about it. Like, you know, um, it was such like you, when you, you know, like any, any of the trail races, uh, any of the trail runners or any of the mountain climbers, you go outside into the mountains because they, at some point in time, you have this like emotional connection with the nature. You have this emotional connection with the mountains. And that's, it was like accumulation of all that. I was feeling the energy. It, it's, it felt like the mountain wants me to climb. It felt like it was passing me. It's giving me energy for, like, for me to climb. It's giving me this like free path. There's nobody in front of me. There's nobody behind me. I could take my own time to climb this thing. It was one of the most, I mean, I, I enjoyed Lhotse more than I enjoyed climbing Everest because it was just like, you know, it was, this, it was, it was the end. I think, you know, it was, it was the second peak that I was going to climb. And I was happier. Um, yeah, it, I just felt more welcoming. Uh, yeah. So I went all the way to the Lhotse top. Um, it's like you just keep going and then you hit a rock face. 
and then next to the rock face you see a dead body just like you know like he's just like behind he's just like sitting um he's wearing the same boots last bodywa he's wearing a mountain hardware backpack that i have but i was using a different pack on everest um he was like it, you just feel like his clothes are like i mean you know like fresh as in like it just happened last year or the year before something like that like um it's not like you know his clothes are still have the colors on them and everything like the moment you go over there like you see this guy like sitting over there like just just died and then you look up and you have to like climb i think like about like 20 feet up on a rock wall to get to the summit and there was like 50 million like ropes on it because of all the previous expedition ropes and there was like these like you know all the prayer flags and everything it was like one of the most treacherous thing because like when you climb up there is no place to sit on top of like let's say you just like stand and then you take a picture and then you come back down so i mean i think the summit was disappointing because it's like all you could do is like just sit over there like lean behind on a rock you take a picture that you have made to the summit and you come back down whereas everest you like sit over there and like look around and everything is so beautiful and i also like you know miscalculated in the sense like i thought it was going to take me 8 hours so i thought it would be like more light but when i went it was like pitch dark like you know it's the middle of the night there was nobody around me it was just me and my sherpa and and the dude was just like you know he was like going back and taking the picture of me and i was so scared that i thought it it was a hard spot to be in it's rock and crampons that's always one thing that i like i'm, I'm pretty hesitant about i was like dude i don't want you to die here because uh, you know <laughs> i can't drag you all the way down so please like you know i don't want the picture i don't care about that i'm here i'm happy uh let's just go down yeah so that was it like you know uh, lotse was very very special and i'm so glad i did it um it added a whole um another feel to my climb um i'm i am proud of the climb um you know that's like one of the climbs that i'm like most happy about it just felt like you know um all the work that i put in um i mean i've made some sacrifices i would say over the last like you know year, like since 2019 when i started training for big mountains um it just felt like you know like all those experiences like you know all those sacrifices and uh, uh especially my 2020 uh the injuries and the pain and everything that i went through and then how i recovered everything it just all like flashes through you you like and you know, everything was worth it like i would go through all of that again if i were to be in this part again um, i can i can hear it in your pa- in the passion in your voice yeah, it, 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 yeah. you can feel it <laughs> right yeah. now yeah so it was it was a magical climb like you know and then like in coming back down i was at the top of the world like you know i was on top of the world the, the other day when i was literally on top of the world but like coming down let's say uh knowing how strong i was feeling um i was i was very happy um I, i i mean and i say this in the most humblest form too again um when i was like in the lower camps when i was like socializing with people um i reached out like my, one of my favorite climbers her name is bex ferry um super amazing athlete but then the most humble person too she never posts anything about her expeditions or any of that like stuff anywhere but she just comes out of nowhere and climbs like 6000 8000 meter peaks last year mom um she's like she has five kids and everything else she's an ultra runner she just kills it and keeps it like the humble so she's like my inspiration for that reason um i i reached out to her when i was at base camp she was also there um she was a sponsored athlete from montana i was like what what are you doing she's like i'm climbing uh, everest uh, lotse and there's another mountain next to it called nutse so if everest um like nupse is not in 8000 meter 
but then it's a really steep mountain. Um, very few have been able to get to the summit. One of my favorite mountaineers, um, Uli Steck, was wanted, was wanted to find a route between Everest, Lhotse, and Nupse when he fell into a crevasse and died on Nupse. Um, and so very few people have done all three climbs. And so, so it was all like, I mean, I was happy and all felt also. So anyway, I mean, I, I reached down to like in a camp for Lotse. I was so excited that I was like, maybe I could push up to Nupse. Like that's a really hard mountain. You need to have like, like, you know, I think you need like proper, it's, it's, a, it's a technical mountain. Like it's much more technical than these two mountains. Um, but then like I had this like energy, like this is a mountain wants me to climb. Like, and I, I want to, I had to have the energy in my, in me to like go do that. So anyway, like that's the whole, like, you know, my, those three, four days were just the most amazing days of my life. Um, where I felt like I was in, invincible. Um, but then again, like, you know, with the mountain willing me to climb those peaks, um, I felt like the mountains want me to do those things. So it's like, it's a pretty good feeling. Um, all the pain and struggle that I've been through the last two, three years, like all just came through. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. So next morning awesome. I, we went to camp for let's say that night. Thank you. Yeah. So we went to camp for let's say that night. Um, and then we woke up, we only slept for like two, three hours. We slept in the open. Um, my hands were freezing and everything. Yeah. And then we just woke up at like five thirty, six o'clock next morning. And then we just went down to camp two. Um, where I had like good food and again like proper shower and uh, no no not a shower but like you know like a wet towel shower um, and then woke up next morning again and then went all the way down to the base camp so yeah that's the forty eight hours of my journey between uh, and, and camp three to camp two yeah awesome that's uh, I think thanks for sharing that I think we you took us literally. Over there, I was so engrossed in what you were saying that I almost felt like I was with you. So uh, th thanks for that. Um, so what's next for you? Well, what's uh, what's the next adventure you're planning? Um, it's oh, sorry. Give me one second. Um, I I think I'm analyzing it. Like, had you asked me like a couple of weeks ago, I would have like thrown several options. Um, um, it's important to like go through this phase of like you know envisioning yourself on a mountain like you're doing a certain thing before you actually like do it um so i was i was going through what i call it like my, my mental training um and everything was i mean i thought it was you know until like i don't know if you've heard about like these like avalanches that happened on manaslu um or the avalanches that happened in india where about 29 people lost their lives um so it, it's just a little pushback that i you know in my mind right now but then i think um i say this to people and then my friends like keep making fun of me <laughs> um but i think i want to attempt annapurna um next spring yeah that's a mountain annapurna or kanchanjunga depending on like you know um how much the snowfall is um in the next year um, in a, like in a between now and then um so between one of those two peaks kanchanjunga uh, because it's the tallest peak in india mm. um Annapurna because like it's a mountain it's again like you know I you know it's it's supposed to be the deadliest mountain um it's something um you know it's known for like avalanches and everything 
I, and I do, and I truly believe this thing. I've seen how much um, Kumbu Ice Ball has changed between April 17th when I got there to like May 17th when I was coming back from the summit. Uh, I they were like huge, like you know, boulders of like you know, um, ice or snow over there. When I was coming back down, it was all like flat, and I could see, like I could hear things, like you know, just breaking behind me on the on the Kumbu ice fall. So I know that, like you know, um, no matter how much we, you know, there's always this conspiracy theories, but then I feel like you know, um, the whole climate change is happening and it's happening for worst. Um, a lot of these avalanches that are happening right now in uh, beat Manaslu or in India are like a true indication of that happening. Like, you know, and then there's ice sheets like disappearing in like uh, Antarctica and all that. Um, so, I mean, I feel like, you know, I want to do these mountains before it gets like more and more dangerous. Um, so Annapurna is known for like avalanches and like, you know, that bit of it. So that's a mountain like not very many people like want to attempt to. They usually keep it to the last. Um, but, you know, that's something I want to like do um, now rather than later. Yeah. Makes sense. And then awesome. I hey, also uh, want to like, yeah, I also want to quickly talk about like, um, one of my favorite mountaineers from India, cause he's from Andhra Pradesh. Um, his name is Malli Mastan Babu. Um, he's one of the premier mountaineers in India and he passed away in 2015. Um, he's the first guy to like climb Winston is the first Asian to climb all the seven summits is the first Indian, sorry, the first Asian to go to Mount Vinson, the first Asian to go climb Oceania, the, the peak in Oceania. So he's like a pioneer in mountaineering. I think he's a pioneer, but I mean, there are other people too, but then he, yeah. Um, but then there are other people too. I feel um, he's like one of my favorite mountaineers and inspiration for me. He passed up in 2015, trying to climb the top 10 peaks in Andes. Um, he was in the, he was climbing the last mountain. He went to the summit, came back down, and the weather just changed drastically, and he passed away right outside his tent. Um, so I want wow. to like follow his footsteps, and also like not footsteps in the sense like I want to finish yeah. the journey that he started. So Annapurna next year or Kanchenjunga, and also want to cl- climb the top ten mountains in Andes. Beautiful, beautiful. As a, that's amazing, Satish. To honor him. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. No, that's nice. It's a great, uh, great goal. I uh, really wish uh, you all the best uh, in, in you. whatever you're up to next. And this is incredible uh, what you've done. Uh, very inspiring. And, you you know, uh, wishing you continue to inspire uh, more mountaineers uh, to follow these footsteps. And I think your journey is just not about endurance. It's more, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of just physical, not just physical, but also spiritual and mental endurance that you've uh, demonstrated so uh, i think uh, you know we've covered quite a bit ground here uh, satish Um, kind of coming to a wrap up Um, i want to kind of give you the last uh, last word here Uh, any final message for audience before we wrap up um the only thing i would say um is, I mean, I, you know, um, it's truly important to have a passion and then to use it as a compass. Um, this is something I always believed in, and it's something that it reiterated, you know, it's one of my favorite um, ski mountaineers who said this thing, um, and I truly believe that. Like, having a passion and then following it, it's, it's important. Um, and then the second thing, if I, were, if I, you know, could say is, like, you know, just no matter how big the task is, like, you know, it's always, like, you know, just keep one foot in front of the other. Um, if you want to do it, if you truly believe in it, um, you will eventually get there. 
Um, those are the two things. It applies for running. It applies for mountaineering. It applies for like, if, you know, if you're looking for like a career change, if you're looking for like whatever it's in life, right? I mean, like, you know, one foot in front of the other. Um, they say like, you know, um, and, and keep your head down and heart and forward or up. Um, if you're thinking it the right way, you'll eventually get to where you want to be. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well said. Beautiful. Satish, thanks for sharing yourself again. Um, I, uh, you know, wish you all the best for the, your next big adventures. We'll keep track and we'll be cheering you on. Um, I'll let you go enjoy the rest of the evening and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much again, Santosh. Appreciate you taking the time to like interview me. Absolutely. Bye.